Pretty woman, touch my head. Pretty woman, come to bed. Pretty woman, do what I said. I'm Edward. Well, hello, and welcome to Bro Mancing the Stone. It's the podcast for myself, Renee Sanchez, and my good buddy, Max Lyon. What's up, everyone? Watch rom-coms, and then record our thoughts and place them on the internet for the tens and tens of listeners' listening pleasure. And Max, how are you doing this late Sunday night? (laughs) Yeah, we're really pushing it with this one, aren't we? Here we are. We really are. Yeah. I was thinking about pretty that pretty much coming we... out as soon as it's edited. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was like, we actually have to release this in an hour and a half. Like, <laughs> and I, it usually takes us about an hour and a half to record. Yeah, to record it. Yeah. <laughs> but how are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. It snowed, so I'm I'm happy. I love. I fucking love snow, man. It turns me into a little kid. I like snow when I don't have to be out in it, and that includes commuting to work. I, oh yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, not having yeah. When to... I can, when I can be lazy and like a little kid on winter vacation, hell yeah. Yeah, but if I actually not have to having, do stuff, no. Not having to deal with icy sidewalks right now is mm. a blessing. Mm-hmm. Because that is easily the worst part of Chicago. It, it's not even the, not even the cold it's the ice on the sidewalks yeah. this is our i found out this is our fifth coldest no fifth warmest winter in chicago that's not surprising it really hasn't hit as low as it can hit let's knock on wood knock yeah on really on that but yeah it hasn't really gotten as as cold as it can get yeah but that's you know that's the winters out here it's not as Warm and is as it is in you know Beverly Hills. Speaking of, we watched Pretty Woman this this week. The Hills uh, of the, the 1990 romantic comedy starring Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. Uh, this was my first time watching it as a, a human being that could actually formulate opinions on the movie. Because <laughs> um, of course, the VHS was. In my household growing up, uh, I remember seeing that VHS cover with her holding the tie um, mm-hmm. and, you know, the iconic, you know, setup they had there. Um, Which is apparently her face photoshopped onto someone. That doesn't surprise I, me. I once heard that as a rumor, but. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. Um, but the thing I like, I just I I can think back to when I was a kid and some of these parts felt familiar. And I think, I don't know if it was just because they're iconic parts or because I actually did see them when I was a young kid or, you know, whatever the case may be. But I don't remember this movie at all or like the specific specifics of it until I watched it today with you. Um, do you have any yeah. memories before this? No, I'm, about, I'm, I'm in the exact same boat there were so many scenes that seemed very familiar like i i'd definitely seen bits and pieces of this before but i don't think i'd ever seen the whole thing and Mm -hmm. or maybe i had and the plot is so just just choppy on its own that you know to me it seemed like bits and pieces yeah i agree so let's get to the stats of the movie uh, Pretty Woman is a 1990 American romantic comedy film directed by Gary Marshall from Gary a screenplay by J.F. Lawton. The film stars Richard Gere and Julia Roberts and features Hector Elizondo, uh, Ralph Bellamy in his final performance. And that was the guy who played Morse or whatever, the, the old guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura San Giacomo and Jason Alexander. In supporting roles. Yep. Uh, the the film story centers on -on down-on-her-luck Hollywood prostitute Vivian Ward, who was hired by Edward Lewis, a wealthy businessman, to be his escort for several business and social functions, and they're developing a relationship over the course of her week-long stay with him. 
The film's title, Pretty Woman, is based on Oh, Pretty Woman, written and sung by Roy Orbison. It is the first film on-screen collaboration between Gear and Roberts. Their second film, Runaway Bride, was released in 1999. Mm-hmm. And this film came out on March 23rd of 1990. So it came out inconspicuously. It wasn't, they just hmm. were like, it's done, come on out. It's not, they didn't really put it out for Valentine's Day or anything else like that. Uh, the movie is two hours. <laughs> two whole fucking it's two hours. two hours. It's two hours. It is all of the two hours. It is. <laughs> it's all of the two hours. The budget for the film is fourteen million dollars. Okay. I mean that's, that's not, a pretty that's substantial budget. Pretty substantial budget. Uh for the a romantic comedy, you know? Mm-hmm. But not overly spending. How much did this make in the box office? Mm, 120. $463.4 million. Holy shit. What? $463.4 million in the box office. Holy shit. That's got to be one of the the highest grossing of all time. That we've done for sure. Uh, Fuck. 463. I just want to repeat that for like the hour that we record this. Like, um, I'll continue on. Originally intended to be a dark cautionary tale about class and prostitution in Los Angeles. The film was reconceived as a romantic comedy with a large budget. Wow. <laughs> it was widely successful at the box office and was the third highest grossing film of 1990. Jeez. Third highest of all films in 1990. As a rom-com. The film saw the highest number of ticket sales in the U.S. ever for, romantic, for a romantic comedy, with Box Office Mojo listing it as number one, with um, the estimated domestic tickets sold is 42,176,400 tickets. Wow. That is slightly ahead of my Big Fat Greek Wedding, which sold 41,419,500 tickets. Wow. My Big Fat Greek Wedding did that well, huh? Shit. I always forget that. Yeah. Uh, Pretty Woman received mixed reviews, though Roberts received a Golden Globe Award and a nomination for the Academy Award for Best Actress for her performance. Hmm. So she was nominated for an Oscar for this role, and she won the Golden Globe. Jesus. And the screenwriter was nominated for a Writers Guild and BAFTA Award, which is the British film one. Um, So what you're telling me is it is possible to make a movie this successful and still not make a sequel. Yeah. It is possible. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, technically, we there's a sequel in a way. <laughs> oh, well, we'll yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I'm kidding though. But um, yeah, it. So the development of the film, the film was initially conceived as a dark drama about prostitution in Los Angeles in the 1980s. Yeah, that's that's then, interesting. And the relationship between Vivian and Edward was supposed to involve controversial themes, including Vivian being addicted to drugs. And part of the deal was that she had to stay off cocaine for the week. Yeah. And then, and then Edward eventually throws her out of his car and drives off. Yeah, that's a little dark. Yeah. Um, the, uh, <laughs> like, the there's a producer who considered... Producer Laura Ziskin considered these elements detrimental to a sympathetic portrayal of Vivian, and they were removed and assigned to Kit. (laughs) 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 I I vaguely remember, now that you're mentioning this, I vaguely remember reading something saying that 
they originally wanted her to like return to Kit's apartment and find her overdosed on cocaine. Jesus. And and like that was going to be towards the end of the movie when she returns obviously to the apartment. Like before Richard Gere shows up. And I'm like, "Holy shit, that's such a dark fucking way to go." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here we go. I found it. It says in the original plans, Vivian was supposed to be addicted to cocaine. And part of the deal was that she couldn't do drugs during the week. At the end of the movie, Vivian was supposed to find Kit had overdosed while Vivian was with Edward. Like, wow, that would have t- put such a different spin on the, on the vibe. I, Jesus, I just don't know what this film wanted it to. Uh, we'll talk about it. I don't. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, though inspired by such films as Wall Street and The Last Detail, the film bears a resemblance to Pygmalion myths, or Pygmalion myths, uh, particularly George Bernard Shaw's play of the same name, which also formed the basis of you know the Broadway musical My Fair Lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was Walt Disney Studios' then president Jeffrey Katzenberg who insisted the film be rewritten as a modern day fairy tale and love story, as opposed to the original dark drama. And then that was pitched to Touchstone Pictures and rewritten as a romantic comedy. <laughs> Jesus. And then the film is one of two movies that triggered a resurgence of romantic comedy in Hollywood, the other being When Harry Met Sally. And following this film's success, Roberts became the romantic comedy queen of the 1990s, even though she was not the first choice or the second or third or fourth. Yeah, that was another thing she I was, was reading. She was way down there. Um but she finally got chosen. But there are people like Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, I read um, Meg Ryan. Yeah, Meg Ryan. Oh, like the who's who, <laughs> like that were Sandra approached Bullock. or attached. Yeah, before they ended up with Julia Roberts. Yeah. Once again, was that was twenty one at the time, which is crazy. Um. Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock actually turned down the role. I could definitely see her in this role. What you can see her being a prostitute? Well, not that. I mean, <laughs> uh, so Rod Tomatoes has a score for this film. Okay. It's out of sixty-eight reviews. What is the Rod Tomatoes score for this film? They, I don't know, seventy-five percent, sixty-three percent. Oh, okay. It's not as high as I thought. That's that. Yeah delightfully surprising uh pretty woman may be a a yuppie fantasy but the film slick comedy soundtrack and casting can overcome misgivings that's the critics consensus um are we sure about that yeah jay boyer of the orlando sentinel wrote there's nothing light about this movie's comic touch (laughs) okay uh yeah uh Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian. Uh, the movie's most outrageous high concept moment, the stretch limo private jet opera, is pure camp. But that was in a good review. That was three out of five stars. What does pure camp mean? Uh, just like corny, you know, cornball. Mm. Sort of, yeah. Um, Peter Travers of Rolling Stone wrote, The Robert Smile, full-lipped, a mile wide and gleaming, is the closest the movies have yet have yet come to capturing sunshine. Such dazzle should not be taken lightly. So he gives us a positive review because of Julia Roberts. Mm-hmm. And Anne Cohen of Refinery29 wrote, The soundtrack, including the Roy Orbison classic that gave the movie its name, is bopping, and the pacing is breezy. There it is. I, I would... I agree about the soundtrack. I do not agree about the pacing. No, the pacing Um, is awful. Yeah. Uh, But then gear is charismatic and he and Roberts have a subtle chemistry and complicity that you want to share. I don't know that Uh, I want to share it, but I will admit they got some chemistry. So, I mean, and this is because I, I hadn't seen it. In a, in a way that I could formulate opinions on. As as we mentioned, like when the bits and pieces we've seen of this film were when we were young, like literally when right. I was like 
two, three, four, five, six years old, you know, like that, that age, you know, I was playing in the background. I obviously wasn't paying attention. Um, so. Right. You see adults kissing on the screen. You're like, Oh, gross. (laughs) So pardon my ignorance on this, but I felt like I was just watching the prequel to 50 shades of gray. The like this movie was basically what Fifty Shades of Grey became, although Fifty Shades of Grey just you know lowered the amount of time to under an hour forty, and you know like did a I don't even know if I would say did more with like showing bodies and nipples and everything. I mean, because they did a lot in this movie. I I um, feel like we were in the fucking writers' room for 50 shades of gray in this movie. Like this was before they hashed out all the fucking issues. <laughs> it's still like trying to figure yeah. out what direction they want to go. The other thing is knowing the real ages of the actors as they're acting. Yeah. Julia Roberts is 21 and he's almost 40. And then he, his character has dad issues and he's speaking like a father to her. It's yeah. very awkward and odd. And it's just very Pornhub search. (laughs) (laughs) The dynamic of their relationship. Well, even, and then there were a couple scenes that just held that up. Like the two of them on the piano. Oh my gosh. The, like he eats her out on a ball, on a piano in a ballroom. After he tells everyone to leave the room. Like it's a fucking ballroom to a hotel. Yeah. And you're just like, get the fuck out. I need to get on this girl. There are multiple points of entrance and exits, and I need you all to not use them as I eat this girl out real quick. On a grand piano. On a piano that you guys are going to have to clean afterward. Like that ivory is not going to be ivory anymore. (laughs) Uh, I mean. Jesus, guys. Like that scene, that's like... At first, like it was kind of tender and cute, and and but it, then it carried on so long, it just got uncomfortable. And then, and then they were like, it, it just got so intense, and then it starts panning out, and I'm like, you're in the middle of a fucking ballroom. This is weird. I feel like this, but that was kind of the style at the time too. Because there are a lot of late 80s and 90s films that were the sexy thrillers. They weren't necessarily rom-coms, but they were like these sexy thrillers where they just like stayed on the scene an extra little bit. They they basically went from PG-13 to R. And then instead of, you know, showing the initial makeout and maybe a shirt off and then, you know, ex- exterior shot of the morning letting people know time has passed and they've already done the deed. And now we're going to get back to them. They would actually show it a little bit more in the late eighties and nineties. Jesus. Well, and, cause I mean, I think of like Michael Douglas movies at that time, not named. I mean, think of a fucking romance of the stone and jewel of the Nile. Like they were, that's true. Yeah. Like they had multiple like naked <laughs> love making scenes in those films. Like, and that was before this. Uh, I mean, think of the other like Michael Douglas movie, Basic Instinct, with Sharon Stone. Like she legit shows her vagina in that movie. Yeah, yeah like she... yeah, she does the uncrossing of the legs. I don't know if she's wearing panties in that scene or not. Jesus, but the the intent is that she's showing her her vagina. Um, I mean, it's just things like that. Like they're just they were just shown at that time <laughs> but a lot yeah of it, people back then yeah <laughs> even but even through all that it's just a matter of like like there's just a lot of time that could be saved uh if they just devoted it or devoted it toward you know toward what toward toward what what was the actual point that's what i kept asking myself the whole fucking time like what? What are we watching here? What? Are, what's the story that's actually developing? Like I know their romance is eventually going to bud into something, but then there were so many other like subplots going on. I guess there weren't that many subplots. It was just like the way they were divvied up throughout the movie seemed really haphazard, didn't it? 
Yeah, I I would say that it's I mean I, I just, hmm. Like it just, I, it's hard it to like another fuck. It, it's just it's hard to explain because like there's there's the whole prostitution thing. I mean, obviously in the film it's just the, the initial script was supposed to be dark and gritty about class and prostitution in LA in the eighties. So obviously it was more like a, you know, the, these, you know, they're humans too sort of thing. Uh, their kind of vibe, I'm sure within the original script or, you know, things like that. And so there's a bit of that still like residue and like, you know, Oh, Vivian deserves better. She's not your average prostitute. She's not right, someone who's just, right. she's not, she's not Kit. You know what I mean? She's the responsible one who's trying to pay rent. You know, she, she's only stripping in order to pay for college. You know what I mean? Like just she, that kind of, that kind of bullshit yeah. reasoning for the patriarchy about sex. Yeah. Work. Uh, where, and then with Richard Gere, you know, they finally pull it out of him. But basically it's the same thing as any rich dude who's like, a, you know, a, with no feelings and it's dad issues. He obviously had dad issues. And so they finally get to the dad issues, but they try to keep Edward mysterious the whole time. And then they, and you know, Vivian is mysterious all time. And basically they just, they unravel the story in like these layers. Like, but, yeah, but they didn't build up the fucking mystery. Like I didn't care enough. Yeah. It's just, and it's like, I mean, it's exactly as you said, like, wh- what's the point? Like, why are we unraveling these so slow when you could just tell me and then I could know? It's like, I don't, there, there's no reason for the, you know, the delay here in right. knowing who you are and what this is all for. Like, I don't know. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking, like, this could have been a much more exciting plot to get wrapped up in if it had been, like, instead of six days, one night. Like, instead of being the prostitute, he finally, like, or she finally gets treated to, like, her fantastical dream night, you know, the storybook night. This guy comes along, saves her from the life that she's been stuck in with one magical night of, like, going out on these amazing little like adventures around the city, like, of you know, an operatic date and, uh, you know, getting thrown into or tripping into a fountain or something, you know, stupid, silly shit, you know, that kind of stuff that fucking would have been more enticing to get sucked into. This stuff was just like plodding but along. Then, like, God, what, okay. what happens at the end of that night? Huh? What happens after that at the end of that night, though? I don't know. Then they, they, we—that's what we hash out in the writers' room. I'm just saying, like that setup. I feel like off the top of my head had more of weight to it. More like I don't know, enticing to bring you in. Whereas like this, like started off slow, and then it just kind of stayed slow. And it was like what. What are we actually building towards here? Like you're not getting, you're not picking up the pace. You're not getting me excited or you're not getting me invested, you know? Yeah. I, it just felt like the entire film just tried to subsist on looking cool and being flashy for the time. And it it tried to show more than it, more than tell. Which I appreciate the I effort. definitely did too, they yeah. Just, but they just did a bad job of it. Where, you know... <laughs> Where they, it was like, <laughs> what are you actually showing us? <laughs> yeah. <coughs> like, they, they basically explained Vivian's a prostitute without her ever saying anything about, oh, I'm about to go turn a trick or blah, blah, blah. Um, like, right. they just, they do it through the way she's dressed, the way she's you know, doing other things and yada, yada and blah, blah. So they try to like do things like, and tell you something without actually like telling you, which, you know, makes for the, the viewing experience. If it's done correctly to be a better viewing experience, because then you feel like you're involved in 
you, you like you're in on the joke sort of thing and you're just like oh yes like that and this oh, okay right. you know like you feel like you're involved in and you're figuring things out with everyone right. else in the movie like that's the whole idea of bringing someone in this movie just like it tried to do that but it was just like hey you know it it, it just kept like putting little pieces of a puzzle in front of us and we didn't know what the puzzle what the picture was like what are we trying to make with this puzzle (laughs) it was it was like i was at the opera and i don't understand what the fuck language they're singing in so i'm lost the whole time and then finally we get to the end of the opera and everyone's crying and applauding and i'm sitting there going okay i i guess i'll play along i don't know what the fuck just happened what did i just watch am i supposed to be emotional about this that's what it was yeah I mean, it's just, but then there's still bits of it that exactly makes sense. Like along with that whole showing and not telling, like that's where most of the chemistry between the two leads are. There yeah. is a chemistry there between them. It's just that it's, it's an odd chemistry because you know, it's there. Like there's a definite attraction between them, but at the same time, there's also an age difference. That's very tough to get over. And then, and then the way he speaks to her is very off putting. That's, that's exactly what I couldn't get over. That was weird. Well, the way he speaks to her, the way that his, you know, fuck face lawyer slapped her. I mean, I know it doesn't need to be said, quote unquote, because you can probably just assume that this is what's happening. But the fact that he never tells Stucky that he's fired is a little off putting. You know? Yeah. I I think for a movie that doesn't, yeah, isn't telling anything, that's definitely something they're going to leave out. But yeah, yeah, they they have a lot of that words. Yeah. I mean, even like, even their fight scene, like that, that was tough. What? That was tough. Like, yeah. right. Like, I, I mean, okay. From a rom-com perspective, I appreciate what they're trying to do. Cause they're trying to show that maybe, you know, they're already developing this, this quote unquote relationship, you know, further than, you know, it, it would be in normal reality. So then, you know, it gives us background for how the movie's progressing and whatever, all that shit. I get what they're trying to do and set it up. Right. But they lingered again. This is another scene where they linger on it and it's fucking uncomfortable after a while. Like the, the fight is a little too real. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's just my like PTSD from teenage years of watching my parents argue, but <laughs> it was just like, like, Okay, now it's not now it's not a rom com anymore. Now this is like this shit's getting serious. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, completely. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I, like I'm just confounded by this film. <laughs> just because that go, like the way she's like got her arms crossed and she does just a subtle shake of the head to the elevator dude and it's like it obviously like there was a fight and there were feelings hurt and everything else like that and it's still awkward even when there's an emo like when it's just like a an argument between them but then you start you know your head you kind of go like how many times is like someone pulled a stucky and like hit some hit a woman and then the woman had to be there with like a black eye and the, and the guy at the elevator had to say nothing because it was a customer right you know like and it's just so then it's just like there's the remnants of the dark script that just keeps seeping in because they turned this from a dark script into a romantic comedy instead of having it be a romantic comedy to begin with. That's very true. And so that, and it's just like, you can't, it's, you know, when the roots and the foundation are completely different from what you're trying to present, it's going, it's just, it's not going to ring true. And that's how I felt this whole entire film. It's just like, Oh, all I see is the dark parts because that's what the fuck they wanted to show us in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally true. That's I'm thinking about 
the other rom-coms we've watched, for example, it's like, yeah, there's, there may be like deeper moral lessons they're trying to convey or, you know, maybe some darker thematic elements along the way, but it's never like, it's never this obvious. Mm-hmm. And- Whereas, yeah, this just had, I mean, and, and then that's, that's not to, that's not to completely gloss over. There were several good parts. There were several really cute scenes. Yeah. I mean, before we get into those cute scenes though, like we're supposed to play for comedy after being introduced to Kit. Like she stole rent money to buy drugs and party. And then she's, and then basically she and Vivian go out in order to make that rent money back. And then she and, encourages Viv to go into that rich person's car and then she says work it work it and now you're supposed to be like a fan of Kit and you're supposed to appreciate Kit like Kit's supposed to be the funny friend who's like cracking jokes that you're supposed to laugh at like that's kind of how she's presented in the film but all I see is the initial person who sold their red money for stole the red money and used it for drugs well it's like that's the person that's you're, the person I see. Yeah, well, you're seeing the original, the original scripted kit. Yeah, the one that ODs on cocaine. So, and it's like, sorry, I can't laugh yeah. at the joke where she tells the grandpa fifty and seventy five she can watch. Like, sorry if I don't think that's funny from a fuckface who's financially irresponsible. I didn't pick up an envelope that <laughs> she told her to pick up three days ago. Well, and and like, if you want to do it if you want to do a movie about the prostitution industry or something, then do that. But if you want to make, I guess they didn't intend to make a rom-com. So that's the point right there. But yeah, if you're going to make a rom-com, you need to kind of depart from that genre. Like you need to, you need to really take all the darker thematic elements, like dramatic stuff out of it. I just, how much Coke was there? That they just thought, you know, this prostitution, dark prostitution script, I could see it as a rom com. <laughs> like, what if they got together at the end, though? Like, you <laughs> like, have enough what? story. Just, just a a, a a Richard Gere type character playing, you know, the My Fair Lady role of to a, a prostitute. Like, that's already enough of a story. Yeah. Like, let's get. Richard Gere, who's played a male prostitute in a film a decade ago, and now he's hiring a female prostitute. <laughs> Did Waka he play a male Waka. prostitute? Yeah, he was a uh, his big role uh, was American Gigolo. Oh, I never knew that was him. Yep. All right. Wow. Well. Yeah. It's just chuckles. I, I don't. I just don't understand how they thought they could make this into a rom-com. And then I don't understand how this rom-com was so fucking popular. And I'm just like, why, where, where was everyone's standards in the nineties? Like in the late eighties. Well, as, as we get older, I'm looking at those films and I'm thinking to myself, like they hold very little to no validity compared to films from like the forties and fifties. And like the old, old films have a quality to them. And then by the time the eighties and nineties rolled around, the quality is just shit, even from the ones that are considered good or that were fan favorites at the time. And it's probably because they were creating multiplexes within malls. And so they're just doing everything they could to keep teens there, to keep spending their money in that one building. And so they put multi, you know, cinemas in there. So they have to have films in those cinemas in order to keep them there and to keep, you know, for as long as possible. Well, yeah. They were just gunning for entertainment. They so, weren't just making films. And that's, and that's a road. I think I went down in a previous podcast about, malls and like this was all marketing and so on and so forth yeah that's a we don't need to go down again (laughs) but nonetheless just i don't i already forgot what i was saying (laughs) i was waiting for it (laughs) just (laughs) oh well see this that's that's the feeling we had throughout the whole fucking movie it was like every five minutes it would, we'd be one of us would say 
Wait, what are we? What are we watching? Right? What's yeah. happening now? I mean, it's that's he going? Know, What's I, happening? I was saying more like this is considered a quality film of that year, nineteen ninety, and it is a slight, like a, a quarter step above Fifty Shades of Grey, which won Razzies. Like so, yeah, that's. Like, I don't see a, a don't difference know. between this and Fifty Shades of Grey. And Fifty Shades of Grey is not considered. Well, the lead actors in this are a lot better. Though. That's for sure. <laughs> Fair. Uh, that's about it. That's that's really like the biggest draw to this movie, I think. I mean, at least in retrospect, it is. At the time, yeah. obviously not, because Julia Roberts was what? Relatively unknown, right? Yeah. I mean, she so, was in she was in two movies before this, and that was Mystic Pizza and Steel Magnolias. So she already, so she already had because those are two quote unquote chick flicks. Those two films they're mm-hmm. very popular with women at the time. So she already had the backing of women, you know, like oh, I loved her in those movies. I think mm-hmm. she oh, that's great, and like oh, Richard Gere, you know, he was considered one of the sexier mm-hmm, male mm-hmm. leads. And like, oh, a rated R, you know, like now there's like this whole, you know, it borders on that whole, oh, this feels so naughty relationship <laughs> between the two of them, you know, like that's the whole reason Fifty Shades of Grey was so fucking popular because it was just the whole like, you know, women don't like to be told what to do unless it's unless they want to be told what to do sort of situation. Or this is and, yeah, this is the uh, this is the street. You know, like calm version of Fatal Attraction. This is the rom-com version. Fatal. Like, this is the. Uh, <laughs> those are different things. Those are different things. Those are different things. No, this is more of. I'm talking more of like the domineering side, where it's just like in real life, if you try to tell a woman that you were involved with what to do and talk to her in a very paternal voice like that, you're going to get shit talked back and like or don't talk to me like that yada yada blah blah but there's a fantasy where they actually submit to someone and it's you know because yeah, it's called it's stockholm <laughs> yeah well i mean it's more of a they can they feel there's a safety like it's a danger and a safety all at the yeah, same time I, mean, I, I get that aspect of it but it's still creepy it's still creepy to see it on screen like that's what i, I always thought was creepy about the my fair lady plot like it was just a little weird to me i agree with every with all of that 100 percent. i'm just saying why it was so popular in there because there are the that is a common thing amongst the general oh, I, no i get i get what you're saying and it's, they were I, already and they were already into richard Gere and julie roberts and so it's just i'm like, saying i don't fucking get it like I, whatever yeah if they're, it's, if not, it's popular I mean, it's you, popular for, whatever, but whatever. For you, yeah but for you and i and not for us uh, to, to each their own whatever the case uh <laughs> but we don't get it <laughs> we don't get it we don't get it so let's go into the last little bits of the stuff for the uh, the film and the pod. I mean, there's not really much else to say. Uh, uh, I mean, Julia Roberts is beautiful. Let's put that out there. She was amazing in this. She was, she actually, I can understand why she was nominated and won an award. She was solid. I thought she was, I thought she was solid. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, it's just, I, Richard it, Gere, I can take it or leave. Like he's boring as fuck to me. So I don't, I, like, yeah. See, that was the thing with Richard Gere's performance. It was just like, was he told to be that way? Like, he was just so cold and rigid and, you know, very nonchalant. And I guess it's because he he turned into a cold human being because he had a bad relationship with his dad. And so he you know, learned how to be cold and that helped him in business as well. And so he decided to, that's just how he had to do things. And that's why they had the arrangement that they did between him and Vivian. And like, you know, then, yeah. And then at the very end, he finally warms up a little bit and realizes he, you know, she's saving him from himself. You know, 
Fuck that guy. <laughs> just like that's another thing. Like, how are you supposed to root for either of these protagonists? Exactly. That's what I mean. Like, they don't draw us in to like yeah. root for this relationship. That's my like, complaint with like the last ten movies we've seen. <laughs> yeah, like you're supposed to root for him, and he's a corporate raider. Or you're supposed to root for Vivian because, you know, she's a prostitute who has a heart of gold. But at the same time, you learn nothing else about her. I mean, she's good with cars. She's from Georgia. And then, you know, after Coitus, she'll tell you something else. (laughs) Oh, I love you? (laughs) No, it seemed like every time after Coitus, like they would just show them both naked laying in bed and she was the one talking. Like, oh, I love you. Or, you know, how when I was over in the, in Georgia or whatever the fuck the monologue was that she said. Um, that that reminded me of the joke from Chappelle's show. Uh, but. Well, more <laughs> often than not, that generally is how it happens. But. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, but nonetheless. Uh, yeah, let's go to the kiss of the film. So the kiss of the film is. When it's like the last time they do it on screen i forget what preceded it yeah i'm trying to remember too like they were in bed and then they just decided to kiss see what i mean like it's so fucking fragmented we can't even remember what the hell the scene was we just watched the damn movie was was it after the opera i don't remember I think it was after the opera. Yeah. Okay. So wait, they had gotten see. back from the opera and then they went to bed. So he's, he's like asleep sitting partially up in bed, right? That's right. So this is when they were back. They were back from the opera. They were at the chessboard. She has the diet Coke. And then he's like, I, I got to work in the morning. Let's go to bed. Sort oh yeah. And then, um, and then basically, uh, yeah, he, but then was and then did they do the picnic after that the picnic the carpet yeah, picnic well, yeah no no when he's when he skips work like did he skip work after mm, they must have I, yeah yeah no, i don't know uh, fuck i know see <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Fucking stupid. Oh um, my god. Anyway, the kiss of the film is after the opera, and then he's like he's laying asleep, and then she goes and she kisses him on the lips, which wakes him up, and then there's this look between them like, oh what? But then they actually keep kissing. And then and then you see her like bare nipple. Bare nips. <laughs> uh I think for because they set the rule of no kissing and then she breaks it while he's sleeping and it takes him back. But then mm-hmm. he goes in and reciprocates it. I think that's all nice and well and good. So I'll give it a B. I mean, it is steaming. It's just it is. It is actually it's a just, really good kiss. Yeah, I, it's I just would actually all mixed. Yeah, that's fair. I just don't like the context of I don't know when I'm not 100% sure when exactly it happened within the plot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I can't it, give it, it more than a B. Out of context, like I give it like just the kiss itself. Like the, the kiss is good. The kiss is a, a perfect kiss. I'll give it an A. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, but it's independent from the movie. You know, it's just, <laughs> I'm just giving that yeah. the grade. Cause like, yeah. Yeah, it was it was a very good kiss. It was very steamy. The lead up to it was good. They had a good build and everything. They stayed on the scene long enough without making it creepy. It was actually a pretty good kiss between them. Unlike the final one of the movie, which was just weird. Well, on the on the the what you call it the uh, fire escape. Yeah, she like I don't know if it was the angle of the camera or something, but it looked like she was just going in to suck his face off. It was I mean, freaky looking. She came in pr- like guns blazing to that kiss. Well, I mean, that was that was probably an elevation issue. They were on a probably. fire escape and she was above him. Kind of thing. I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. But either way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
As far as what happens after ever after, I think it's more of what happens during. (laughs) I think they didn't use a condom each time. (laughs) There has to be. I think that I think the opera one. She just she just didn't bother. She she didn't bother, and he didn't bother in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I feel like when like. When they kissed on the lips, she also was like, "Well, if we're not, if I'm not protecting my heart, then we just cannot. We don't have to protect anything at this point." And I, and I feel like he just went ahead. So I think what happens after after is that she has his kid, and so she's set. And so and you she know, Susan. Well, what ends up happening is they separate because that's what happens, and you know, she gets half of what you know what they build over the next. 10 to 20 years. They don't she, end up together, that's for sure. And she uses that half to build her own fashion company. Nope. She start, She builds a, you know, she builds, a, or she gets into franchising Jiffy Lubes in, in the greatest <laughs> southeastern United States. She uses her car knowledge to build, to build Jiffy Lubes. All right. So let's go to the verdict of the film, Max. Oh man, this is a tough one. Um, because I I want to, from a personal standpoint, I want to kill it. Yeah, I know but, what you mean. But uh, like, like even even minus the stats you mentioned at the beginning, like the whole box office figure and all that stuff. Like, yeah, even just like watching it i can acknowledge that it's like a good it's a culturally relevant film yep so i i can't like and it's got bits and pieces to it man like there's stuff in there there's some good scenes like the scene where she wraps her legs around him fucking each one of my legs is 44 inches that's 88 inches of therapy wrapped around you like fuck that's a good line that's and a good line, and it's a very romantic shot. Like totally it's just, romantic. It's a, very, it's a very intimate shot for sure. They're in the tub too. Like, oh my, it's very intimate. You're right. Like it's stuff like that. There's little nuggets throughout it that are just mm-hmm. that are pretty fucking good. So I think I'm just gonna have to. I'm gonna have to fuck it. Well, I kill it. Um, <laughs> I can't. I can't tell people to sit through this for two hours. Like. At the, I, there's been other films that I've fucked for less. I feel uh, there's other films that I I said you, you need to watch once in order just because you know of all, all of the things. Four Weddings and a Funeral comes to mind. I said to fuck that movie because there's so much about it that you know you should know as a rom com watcher. This, I mean, everything you need to know about this film is probably in a YouTube compilation somewhere. That's probably that's probably about ten to fifteen minutes. Honestly, watch the YouTube compilation. You do not need to sit through the fucking board meetings, wondering what the hell he's going to do with those shipyards, and then deciding with no prior knowledge, yeah, he's going to build boats. Exactly. Because Vivian asked him a question after his dad passed away when you took over his business and then sold it for parts. Did you feel happy? And then he doesn't answer or say anything. And it's obvious that that's the reasoning behind why he does what he does, but they never say that they try to show it. And if you are trying to catch on, you can catch it. But at the same time, it's so whack. It's so un. Un, it's so done badly that he don't really know what he's doing when he decides to build ships. And Honestly, just, they, they reuse that scene. I don't know if they reuse it consciously, but they reuse that scene almost like perfectly in Mr. Baseball, which is one of my <laughs> under the radar <laughs> favorite baseball movies of all time. Yeah. That tub scene completely reused where he's in like a slump in his hitting and she gets him out of it by like talking through it. And that made more fucking sense. Like you want to see that scene (laughs) and actually have it make sense. Go watch that movie. Go watch Mr. Baseball. It makes more sense. Yeah. You know what? I mean, I'm going to stick with my rating, but you bring up a good point. Like a lot of the stuff that is worth seeing are probably just like the iconic scenes and shit that are on YouTube. They're the iconic scenes, but at the same time, we've already 
proven that even after watching the movie, we're context is fluid. So it's just like if context is fluid and everything feels like it was just a piece, it felt like a piece. I watched a piece and I watched a piece and I watched a piece yeah. and I watched a piece. It, it felt, never like, felt like fiction. Just, yeah, but it was never connected really together. Like it was just haphazardly kind of together ish. And yeah. so, yeah, it's just like, I could tell you a scene. I couldn't tell you what the scene preceding it was. <laughs> that was obvious from our kiss rate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's just like, if you're if if that's how these scenes are memorable, then you might as well just watch the you know the famous scenes and leave the rest in the fucking trash, which is what I'm doing. So kill it. <laughs> so you can find our socials. Um, but our show social on Instagram is at bromancing the stone podcast. That's all one word together. Bromancing the stone podcast. And then you can also find us on Twitter where I live tweeted watching this film. And you can always, you can see live tweets from previous films as well. Um, that Twitter handle is at bro, the stone pod B R O T H E S T O N E P O D. And then you can find my Twitter at supermarket sweep without the E and super. So S U P R market sweep. And on Instagram, I'm at Relusa 88. That's R E L U S A 88. And then Max on Instagram, you can find me at the lionhearted T H E period L Y O N H E A R T E D. And mm-hmm. on Twitter, you can find me at the lionhearted with an underscore T H E underscore L Y O N H E A R T E D. Boom shakalaka. So next week it's my choice of film. What are we and doing? We're, you know what? I I mean, especially after killing this last film and killing the film before, I don't know why I want to go ahead and subject. You're going to subject to another good, one, but we kind of have to. We, we, do. we just uh, with we everything do. else with everything else we've done this podcast. We've watched. I mean, we we watched Jewel of the Nile for this podcast. All right, <laughs> so we're going to do it. We're going to watch Runaway Bride next week. The not really, but they kind of played it off as, but it has nothing to do with sequel to <laughs> Pretty Woman. Um, it stars Richard Gere and Julia Roberts, of course, and it is directed by Gary Marshall once again. So, oh, what do you know? Yes. Yeah, we kind of uh, do need to watch it then. Yeah. So, and then we can move on to something else after that. So, <laughs> until then. For the tens and tens of listeners, we thank you for listening. Ominous to get to editing. <laughs> and we will catch you next week. Have a great night and week. We love you guys. Stay safe. <laughs>